Luke 21, starting in verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he and the time is near. But do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and the kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for the pregnant women, nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a, in a, in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you and unexpectedly like a trap for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth <coughs> be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the son of man each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Let him who has ears hear God's word. So 
Kate and I, as we've told you this story before, went to Jerusalem and uh, we stood on the Mount of Olives and we looked out and we saw Jerusalem and we saw the uh, temple mount and we saw the golden dome shining in the sun and it was very impressive. Josephus describes that building at the time as being you know, one of the wonders of the world. It, from a distance, it looked like a snow-clad mountain overlaid with gold of the purest white. And from its summer, summit protruded sharp golden spikes to prevent birds from settling upon and polluting the roof. Some of the stones in the building were 45 cubits in length, five in height and six in breadth. The incredible size of the foundation stones was breathtaking. This was an impressive looking building. And the disciples were impressed. It tells us in chapter 21 and verse 5 that some of the disciples were remarking on how impressive it was and how impressively adorned it was. For example, grapes, golden grapes, which Herod had given as a gift, the size of a man uh, on the, the, these bunches of grapes uh, adorning this temple. And Jesus gives a startling prophecy in verse 6. He says that not one stone will be left on another of this great temple. And so the disciples ask him in private on the Mount of Olives as they retire one night. And they ask Jesus, when is this going to happen and what will be the sign of these things in verse 8? And Jesus then gives an answer which is incredible in its accuracy. First of all, to the question, when will these things happen? He says, not immediately. We read in verse 8 and verse 9, he says, these things will not happen straight away. The end will not come right away. But, he says, they will happen in your lifetime. In verse 32, he says that this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. So what Jesus is saying is that it's going to take a while, but it's not going to be immediate. Maybe 40 years would be about right. Well, yes, actually, because that's exactly what happened. 40 years later, in AD 70, the, Jew the Jews were rebelling against the Romans and there was resistance in Judea against the Romans and Titus, who was to become the emperor of Rome, uh, led the Romans in a five-month siege of Jerusalem, which then led to it being conquered and captured and it being burnt down and destroyed. The city, especially, mainly the city, but especially the temple, were destroyed, and it was a decisive event in the first Roman-Jewish war, and it was a terrible time for the Jews. It was a time, and for the people at the time, it was a cataclysmic time. Uh, in the world at the time, there were lots of wars, lots of things going on, and certainly for them, Josephus, I think, probably getting his numbers in a typical ancient, exaggerated style kind of wrong as far as we would be concerned because he says that 97,000 were captured from Jerusalem and 1.1 million were killed, um, which is, doesn't work. Um, uh, but that's not in the Bible, by the way. Uh, so it's okay if it's wrong. But um, it was a, a tumultuous time for people. The Christians had fled to Pella, 
uh, probably because they'd heard Jesus' warnings about what was going to happen when it was encircled uh, in Jerusalem. And then the question that they asked, what would the signs be of these things happening? And Jesus says, well, look, there's going to be lots of things that are going to happen uh, during this period. And uh, there'll be wars, there'll be famines, there'll be fearful events, there'll be pestilences, there'll be great distress, he says in verse 23. In verse 24, Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles. And then in verse 25, he starts talking about the sun and the moon and the stars shaking and uses apocalyptic language, Old Testament language, which uh, culminates in, in a quote from Daniel 7. In verse 27, he says that the Son of Man will come in glory and great power. So he's speaking about how the Son of Man will return in great glory and power and bring judgment and finality upon this, uh, this Jewish system. And that is exactly, all these prophecies, all these words Jesus spoke is exactly what was happening. Do you remember as we've been preaching recently through Luke that Jesus had entered into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry on a donkey being proclaimed as king and then he had cleansed the temple when he arrived uh, at the temple. He'd purged it and cleansed it of uh, the sinful practices that were there. And then he had a series of conversations and confrontations with the leaders of the, uh, of the Jewish uh, people there. And do you remember how they tried to trick him and trap him? And for example, get him to say that we shouldn't pay our, our taxes to Caesar because then they'd be able to have him arrested and killed. And so they tried to trap him. And they were determined to destroy Jesus. But do you remember how Jesus faced down these, disciples, these uh, uh, Jewish uh, disciples, leaders? How he faced them down. He gave irrefutable answers, compelling answers, authoritative answers to their questions, such that they were left speechless. But instead of responding to his compelling message, submitting to his kingship, they chose instead to have their hearts hardened even further, so that they were even more determined now that they would destroy Jesus. And Jesus says to them, go ahead and destroy me. It will look like you have won. But he says in John 3, this temple that you destroy in three days will be raised again. Speaking of himself. And so they do. They go ahead and they try to destroy him. They kill him. But on the third day, he rises and he destroys them. He destroys this whole corrupt, broken system. This religious system that is no longer fit for purpose is destroyed. Jesus is killed. It looks like they have got rid of him. But then at his resurrection, boom, he wins the day. And then, of course... At, uh, he ascends into heaven, and at Pentecost, the king of heaven pours out his, his gifts that he has won in the battle. He pours out his gifts. He pours his spirit out, and we see the victory of the king. And so 40 years later, this old shell, this old temple system and all that went with it is finally publicly, utterly, and dramatically destroyed as Jesus said it would be. So that was then, 
And that's what happened. But how does that apply for now? I mean, is that just a nice history lesson for us all? Uh, okay, well done, Jesus. You got it right. You, pro- you accurately predicted these things. Let's all go home. But how do we respond? Does this mean anything to us today? And, of course, the Bible is quite clear that there is another day of the Lord that is coming. This was a day of the Lord that was coming, but there is another day of the Lord that is coming. And the same principles that are found in this passage are found also in our life as we approach this other great day that is coming. Listen, folks, if they had to take heed of Jesus' warnings... How much more should we watch and get ready for an even greater day that is coming? There's a passage in 1 Peter. Remember that Peter was listening to this sermon uh, from Jesus, the Olivet Discourse, as it's called. And Peter repeats in his uh, letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, thank you, Samuel, he says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. And so there, Peter says, there is another day coming. And so we need to be self-controlled and clear-minded so that we can pray. And then in verse 2, he says this. This is an amazing verse. He says that as a result, we do not live the rest of our earthly life for evil human desires but now for the will of God. We live our earthly lives for the will of God. This is my desire, that you would have everything, Lord, that I would burn it all up for you. That's what we're to do, burn it all up for him. Not burn in passions and lusts, as it says in verse 3. You spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. He says, no, now you are living for a new master and getting ready for that great day. So back to Luke 21, I want to just bring some application for us. In Luke 21, and in particular, verse 34, I want to home in on the way that we need to respond to the fact that God is, is, is the king and the, he is the one who is still to come and we need to be ready for him. So in verse 34, what does it say? First thing is, we're told to be watchful, be careful, or be watchful, or be aware of yourselves. Be self-aware. Watch yourselves, he says. Not watch others, not go pointing the finger at everybody else. Watch yourselves. In Mark 13 and verse 32, in a kind of parallel passage in Mark 13, um, verse 32, it, it tells us that No one knows the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. And then again, he says at the end of verse 34, keep watch. And at the beginning of verse 35, he says, therefore, keep watch. And then in verse 37, it says, what I say to you, 
I say to everyone, watch. We need to be watchful, watchful of ourselves. Because someone's out to get us, someone's out to stop us. And we need to be aware and alert. It tells us in, I love this passage, I've been, there's a song that uh, uh, picks this up, which I won't attempt to sing to you. But in Isaiah 52, it just says this in a couple of verses. Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourselves with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Shake off your dust, rise up, saying, wake up, be awake, O people of God. Be alert. This country needs alerts, so be alert. Uh, yeah, so bad, I know. Um, you know, last week, I, I'm going to dob Kate in now, I'm afraid. Uh, last week, after church, I was in church cookham. Uh, I said, oh, how was the meeting? She said, oh, yeah, it was good, you know, it was lovely, nice time of worship, nice, nice really good sermon. A bit sleepy. Yeah, guys, we don't want to be sleepy, do we? We want to be alert. We want to be awake. We want to be energetic, ready. And uh, I think, you know, for example, Kate and I, we're, we're trying uh, to kind of just go to bed fairly early on a Saturday night so that we can wake up and we can read and pray and be ready. So let's be alert. Let's be watchful. And then it says, secondly, I would say to you, be watchful. Secondly, be free. Be free. It says here, don't be weighed down. Don't let your hearts be weighed down with, um, and the word that I think we've got here, just back to 34, uh, 20, Luke 21, thank you, thank you. Weighed down, don't let your hearts be weighed down with carousing. It uses the word carousing. But the other word, I think, another word for this is dissipation. What it's talking about here is the good things of life. All right? And there are many good things of life, aren't there? There are um, things that we can enjoy that are gifts from God. But we can take those good things and we can take them out of proportion or in the wrong place. And they become things that weigh us down rather than we, that we can enjoy. And so, for example, God gives us blessings such as food or, or sex or, or money or possessions or, or careers. He gives us all sorts of good things, hobbies. But if we take those out of proportion or in the wrong place, then they become things that weigh us down. Good things, but in excess, in a wrong priority, can weigh us down. It's interesting, the phrase there, that our hearts are weighed down. There's a lot of talk these days about mental health issues, aren't there? And actually, if we take things out of proportion, I suggest that they can have an effect of adding to those mental health issues, to depression and so on. They're not the sole cause of those things, but they can add to those things if, in fact, we're looking to those things to give us something, and actually what they're doing is really kind of ruining and not enhancing our, um, our, our mental health. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run 
with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off anything that hinders you, drags you down, weighs you down. So we've said, we've seen that we need to be watchful, we need to be free. And then thirdly, we need to be sober. It says, don't let your hearts be weighed down with carousing or drunkenness. Now, does the Bible teach us that we have to be teetotal? I suggest that um, for some, that would be a good decision not to drink. And there are scriptures that kind of hint in that direction in terms of things like uh, the weaker brother and so on, being aware of these things that can cause us to sin. It'd be better to cut your hand off than to, you know, it's better to be drastic, to be radical, to deal with anything that causes uh, sin or causes problems. So I think that the Bible gives us hints in that direction that that could be a good idea. But I don't think the Bible does command us outright that we cannot drink, that we have to be teetotal. But it does tell us very clearly not to get drunk. And getting drunk, I think, doesn't just mean being kind of, you know, completely, you know, out of it. I think it can include functional, a functional alcoholic who just has so much in their system that they're dependent upon it, and actually it is, uh, it is an issue. Uh, this week I was on Fleet High Street doing some evangelism and stopping and talking to some people. And uh, I got talking to this lady who uh, had become a Christian but still had real issues. She, she opened up and talked all about it with uh, going back to the bottle and uh, knew that she needed to get, it, get free from that. See, the poor and poorer people can rely upon drink to give them some sort of sucker or some sort of enjoyment in life. Maybe that's the best that they could find. But, you know, the rich, too, look to it as well. I was talking to a friend this week who was helping to set up at a private school that shall not be named, um, but it could be replicated all over the country. Uh, a private school is having a prom, uh, and uh, he was setting up for this prom for them, and big marquee, everything in there, all amazing stuff, incredible, so the Bentleys could roll up in front of it, and, you know, everyone could get out and go into the prom and so on. And he says, you know, they've got a free bar and he says they've got a cocktail guy that they've hired in, and he's just going to do free cocktails for everyone. And, you know, everyone's going to think they're going to have a good time. These rich people who have everything but are still empty and still think that drink is the answer to having a good time. The poor and the rich. And people who have issues, and they think, well, I'll self-medicate, or I'll rely on that to mask over these issues that I have. And they think that it's the answer, but it's the answer to nothing. It's the answer to an early grave. It's an answer to liver problems. It's the answer to mood altering. It's not an answer to anything good. And so we're told not to get drunk, but instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. I know that um, Kate and myself recently, we got in, we ordered in, and it arrived, a big box from uh, drydrinker.com, all right? And uh, it's got lots of kombuchas, 
It's got lots of really nice non-alcoholic beers, not that horrible stuff that they used to do. Proper, nice craft, you know, drinks, non-alcoholic. So that on a Friday night, if we have a gin and tonic, we can then switch to uh, something that we like that isn't alcoholic. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong if your conscience allows but to have a drink. But we've realized you need to be careful. Not that we haven't been, but you know what I mean. I think we need to put things in place. We need to be wise. And um, you go into Tesco, and there it goes. It goes, um, uh, I was in there the other day, actually, and it was like, right, uh, three bottles for the price of two, or uh, four for eight pounds. And you think, I just wanted to buy one drink. You can't. Well, you can, but you waste, you waste money because you're losing the deals. Every single drink that was there that I would have quite liked was on a deal where you had to buy multiple. And I was like, I walked out. I don't want to have four bottles, thank you. I just wanted one. I'm not going to waste my money. Um, but we're told then, that's what the scriptures tell us here. And you know, all of these things, I'm going to fixate on drink. Uh, it talks here about uh, having your hearts weighed down with all sorts of things. You know that we have a responsibility. God uh, helps us. The Spirit is there for us. But God is not going to pour the vodka down the sink for us. God, God is not going to lock, padlock the fridge door when, when we want to just indulge in, in, in food when, when we don't need to. God, God isn't going to zip our mouths when we're about to say something to someone that's harsh, when we're about to gossip at work, or when we're about to slander someone. He doesn't just go and stop you from saying it, telling a lie. You have to do it. He doesn't just do it for us. He doesn't turn the telly off for us. He doesn't close the computer. He doesn't turn your, your mobile phone off. He doesn't do those things. You, we have to do those things. We have to make choices. And so he tells us not to be weighed down with carousing or drunkenness. And then he then goes on to say, be at, be, do not be weighed down with the anxieties of life. So be watchful, be free, be sober, and be at peace. Be at peace. And let's face it. He says, don't let your, your heart be weighed down with anxieties. Let's face it. There are lots of things that we could be anxious about, aren't there? There are all sorts of things going on in the world. I mean, if you're an Australian right now, you could be very anxious. No, and an Englishman. Uh, as we approach the ashes, I'm being silly. Um, there are lots of things going on in our world that would cause us to be anxious um, fearful. It's a, it says in, in this passage that there will be fearful events, that we will be people don't, Jesus says, don't be apprehensive, he says, about what's coming. There's lots of things coming at us, aren't there? You know, there was a student the other day I read who's, who's doing a PhD in, uh, in ice caps that are melting, and she had to give up her, degree, her PhD because she couldn't cope with, with the issues that are going on for her in her mind around that. There, there's wars, there's, there's money problems, there's questions. Can I, will I ever be able to buy a house? 
What about my exams? What about my future? What about my results? There's so many things, personal things we could worry about. Our family, our health, uh, our our future, our, our situation. Many things that we could be worried about. And they're real things, difficult things, challenging things. Jesus says, be at peace. Don't let your hearts be weighed down with anxiety. Do you remember how in Luke 8, he told that parable about the thorns uh, that come and choke the, the, the seed that has been sown? We hear God's words, we think, yeah, I get that. And then off we go, and the thorns come And they choke us with the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of life. And and there are thorny issues out there that prick us and hurt us, that choke us, that that rob us, rob us of joy, rob us of of peace, because we let those things cause us uh, to forget his promises to stop looking at him and to look at the circumstances and to panic. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be anxious. He says to these disciples, do not be frightened. In verse 9, he says to them, do not be frightened. In verse 18, he says, not a hair of your head will be touched. I find great comfort in that verse. But you do have to ask with that verse, don't you? What did Jesus mean when he said, not a hair of your head? Because, I mean, there were. I mean, Stephen, what about Stephen? He was martyred. He was stoned to death, not just his hair. So was Jesus promising something false there? That we, you know, He said that we wouldn't get any issues? I think what that verse means is that nothing will happen to you without his permission. Not a hair of your head will be touched without his permission. Your times are in his hands. You can stand strong in him because he won't let anything touch you without his plan and his mercy and his kindness and his permission. So therefore, we don't need to be anxious. Instead, as he tells his disciples here, as they are about to face this issue in Jerusalem, we too can stand firm. In verse 19, it says, stand firm and lift up your heads. Folks, stand firm and lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. Summer is coming. Jesus says, it's like the fig trees. You look at a tree, you see that summer's coming. He says, summer is coming. You know, it was a long winter. Apparently, this week, all the roses are suddenly out. I don't know if any of you have apparently spotted this. All the roses suddenly all come out. Why? Because they, they were held back, held back, held back, because winter just kept on dragging on, didn't it? And at last, we're like, oh, wonderful, summer is here. And then, because we're British, we start complaining because it's too hot. But anyway, summer is finally here, folks. And Jesus says, look at the trees. Summer is coming. Summer is coming, folks. He is coming. Redemption is drawing near. He's at work in this world. He's bringing life. And so we're encouraged in Romans 13, 
Uh, Let's just have a look at a couple of verses. In Romans 13 and uh, verse 11, it says, Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of life, light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, immorality, debauchery, dissension, jealousy. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The day is coming. And finally in Ephesians 5, it says this. Ephesians 5 verse 15 And, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 14. It says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, make music, give thanks, always give thanks to the Father for everything. That's how we're to live now. Be watchful, be free, be sober, be at peace, and be his witnesses. Be his witnesses. He told his disciples you will bear testimony to me. Let's be his witnesses, folks. There will be challenges, but if we are a people who are living like this, we will be witnesses, won't we? People will not be able to stop or silence us. If we're living like this and we're all work in progress, as Andrew prayed, we haven't got there, we slip up, but if we are taking this seriously if we're working in the right direction, if we're allowing ourselves to yield, if we're letting him in and unlocking the doors and letting him into every part of our lives, if we are yielding to him, we will be a people who are unstoppable. We'll be a people with joy. We'll be a people whose heads are lifted up. We'll be a people who will be shining with his glory. We'll be a people who will declare him, who will be his witnesses. And some will love it and some will hate it. But we will be his people in heart districts, in our homes, in our workplaces, and to the ends of the earth. So let us pray together. I do think God wants to do business with us today. I think he wants us to take him seriously, not to walk out and let the, the worries and the pleasures choke his words. He wants us to come to maturity, to be fruitful, to grow up into him. So I want to ask you right now, if there's something that you know you need to yield to him, to ask him for help in, for something that you need to just make a decision about, 
and act on it, then right now I want you to say that to God. Lord, we thank you. You have been speaking to us this morning. And uh, Lord, we want to open the door. We want to let you in. Come and shine your light in every place, over every anxiety, over every worry. Come, Holy Spirit, and shine your light. Bring your peace. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord. When the waves come and we feel like we're sinking, help us to look again to you. Help us to be free, Lord. Help us to be free from anything that entangles us. Lord, we throw it off right now. We choose to throw off anything that entangles Help us to be ready for you, whatever you're going to do. Help us to be watchful, waiting, prayerful, believing people, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask um, Shemona to come and lead us to the song, which uh, she had chosen, and uh, when I saw it, I 